What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me in the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Um, I've been I've been thinking about this particular subject, and this might be a really really short podcast today. So that depending on how long I th- I think I'm going to go, because I've repeated a lot of this stuff before in the past. Um, I have a tendency to repeat myself, which is why my podcasts have become there's bigger gaps between them because I, after you record nearly 700 episodes, it's just, you know, (laughs) you start mining old territory. Um, 700 episodes over 12 years. So this, that'll, that'll tell you something. But anyway, um, the USA, uh, didn't even medal in FIBA. They ended up in fourth place and, uh, which is probably a predictable result. I'll be honest with you. They didn't send their best, uh, team out there. They don't care about FIBA, um, which really annoys the rest of the world, but that the United States simply does not care about FIBA. Um, but there's something that more intrinsic to what happened with the U.S. in uh, FIBA that I want to kind of get to, what I want to focus on, because this has been happening basically since the late 2000s, but really it has kind of coalesced more in the 2010s and it's a collision of two things one uh the the rest of the world has caught not necessarily caught up with the united states but it's getting closer and closer and closer um and uh a sub sub lineage of that is that uh world teams tend to play together more um since 92 these uh, u.s teams have just generally been thrown together um in uh, with the exception of the shashevsky teams um who generally tended to stay together this is this is really a uh, an example of the united states just kind of throwing everything together but anyway that that's a sub lineage of of the rest of the world kind of progressing towards catching up with the united states but um, one of the most glaring aspects of what was exposed was um, how the FIBA, the basically the the three point line is is closer in than the NBA. So think of the NBA circa ninety five to ninety eight, um, when the NBA put the three-point line closer to encourage more three-point shots. But in, in essence, what they did was just make the spacing less. It just compacted things more. Um, one of the reasons the spacing is the way it is is because it's the, the three-point line is farther out. And in fact, there's there's three-point line is, uh, is is being well exceeded by the, the shots that people take. Um, so in essence, that... Uh, Due to the also the rules, there's more aggressive hand checking in uh, in FIBA. Really, FIBA plays basketball like it's the post post 2005 NBA. So you're talking about that period between uh, probably about 2006 and 2011. Okay, and it was really the beginning. The beginning of the change really began with the Heat teams. But this is the late 2000s era NBA is the way they play. And you notice that in the more aggressive play style, um, you know, the United States was, was tended to be really upset at the at how much contact there was allowed. 
Uh, it affected the, the way they were able to rebound. Um, they are used to far more spacing in the NBA than you get in FIBA. And all of that kind of coalesced to a point where the United States, once they started playing better competition, couldn't out-talent people uh, because we didn't send our best. So it was it was kind of devolved into Anthony Edwards doing a bunch of ISOs, being bailed out on a shot, a miracle shot by uh, by um, uh, Mikhail Bridges, um, trying to switch everything, which is a very 2010s kind of style of defense. Um and it wasn't working in the world frame. Now, this doesn't, this, I'm not lecturing the NBA here about where they are at as compared to the rest of the world. It is a different kind of thing. FIBA, FIBA is completely different. Um, but I will kind of in the second half, I'm going to talk to you about how the NBA led itself astray. Um, and very particularly, what was exposed with the, uh, the, the U.S. was the lack of rebounding. Uh, which was glaring, um, the lack of rebounding, and how it was clear that um, the switch everything defense doesn't work in uh, FIBA. Now, transport your mind, and this is going to be to, to the people who listen to this podcast who are old enough to remember, transport your mind back to the late uh, 2000s, um, if you're a Nuggets fan, think of the 2009-2008-9 Nuggets, who did more switching um, than most teams did in that era, because the Nuggets played small. Nene was their center. Um, Nene was 6'9", 6'10", on a good day. And um, the Nuggets were fast and weren't, uh, they weren't a, uh, because Mello was on the team, they weren't a distribute the ball kind of team. Uh, they weren't they weren't a sharing team. It was more like a cross between a '90s team and a 2000s team that that Nuggets team was, and they just played faster. Um, but the the defense, if you notice, and you watch any of those games in the 2009 run to the Western Conference Finals that 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 team did, you will notice that. Uh, there was a physicality and there was just a closeness um, that you were able to play with that you don't see right now. And um, this is a progression that the NBA has been on since, well, I don't know, about 2001. And I'll get to that in the second half. But you notice in the FIBA, it was more close to what the, the NBA was 15 years ago than it is to the NBA in 2023. The NBA in 2023 is um, a far, far, far distant from even 15 years ago. Um, and when these these teams go from that kind of approach, particularly Steve Kerr, who who is, plays a, um, who, who has a Warriors team that basically often plays Draymond Green at center, who is six foot six, um, and relies on heavy outside shooting from uh, Steph Curry and uh, Clay Thompson. And it's a very prototypical 2010s team. But the rules don't allow that sort of thing in the past. And with FIBA, you're really getting a view into the past of the NBA. You're really getting a look at what the NBA used to look like. 
And it's very fascinating. You know, I, I, I'm, I don't, I'm like most Americans. I just don't care about FIBA. It's not, it, it's something that is more important for the rest of the world. Um, we have the NBA. We don't need it. And I mean, I know that sounds tip, like typical arrogance to people who are listening to this from other countries, but it is because your version, this is what your MBA is, is the FIBA in the in the in the uh, uh, the Olympics. Um, when and you know, obviously with the Euro League and all that stuff too. But you know, I mean, it re- means a lot more, particularly with since in Europe you have a bunch of smaller countries who are packed in together. The 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 rivalries within the countries are big. The United States doesn't necessarily have a country rival because of our geography. Um, so none of that matters as much to your average American. We get to see the NBA, um, and it manifests itself into what immediately, like not long after the, they lost the game to Canada for the consolation game to, for the bronze medal. Um, you see LeBron's leaking to Shums that he is going to recruit his, his buddies to go to the Olympics and all this stuff, which is, which is, you know. LeBron can't let things, you know, people, other people get attention, and it's extremely irritating. As Nuggets fans know, based on uh, his faux attempt at, re- at uh, implying that he would retire after the Nuggets swept the Lakers. So, in in the in the grand scheme of things, you're seeing FIBA as a window into the past. It's a shorter three point line. There's more hand checking. Obviously, the big men are more valued in FIBA and generally in, in, in Eurobasket. So you're seeing where the NBA used to be not a terribly long time ago, but it does put into focus the difference in where the NBA is now. And it's not necessarily an advancement. And people want to blame analytics for this. That's not that analytics don't force you to do something outside the rules. Um, analytics don't do that. So let's, let's remove that bullshit from the conversation here. Um, you know, placing a value judgment on this, whatever and wherever the NBA is at right now is what they want it to be, where they directed it. And I'll get to that in the second half. Looking back at the FIBA World Cup thing, obviously it's easy to say that Steve Kerr should have played, um, bigger. Well, it's easy to say that. I, I don't, and I think he made a good point, and this is absolutely true. It's because of the way the league has gone. Uh, big men aren't exactly what you would call prevalent. <laughs> the The emphasis in the NBA is on length and skill, not necessarily size. And 100% Steve Kerr is right. What, what would we do based on what we had? What, 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 what were we going to do? Was Bam going to do it? And Bam's small. Um, you know, who who was in the in line to come in that would have mitigated the, the sometimes big size discrepancies, particularly against Lithuania, that the United States had? Uh, there wasn't, these people aren't around. They weren't around uh, for necessarily for this to be a factor. Um, and now you hear podcasts and people talk about openly recruiting uh, uh, Joel Embiid, who is Cameroonian and uh, after that French, to um, uh, to play for the United States. 
that tells you the the, the desperation that the United States has for um, getting people of size, um, get, getting sizey centers and uh, rebounding advantages that just doesn't exist anymore like it used to for the United States. We don't we don't we don't value that sort of thing. The, the what has we have evolved into is what you see in the NBA: shooting, spacing, layups free throws. It's no longer a balanced league. And if you play in an imbalanced league, you are going to get the exaggerations that you have seen play out in FIBA. If you're playing under different rules, your your playing playing field isn't what it is when you play back at home in the United States. And that is something that we as Americans need to reckon with. We've kind of lost our advantage if we don't send our best players. Um, because, once again, we do not care about FIBA in the United States. So to watch this going forward, yes, LeBron will recruit his super friends. And the United States will probably, the United States will probably win in Paris next year. But there's going to be a point where that's not going to matter anymore. And the United States is going to have to reckon with that fact. And in the second half of this podcast, I'm going to talk about the NBA, where the NBA put itself and how it's contributed to the way the uh, U.S. plays, even when they send their B, C, D team like they did this last time. But first, I want to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Boise in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They're always online at BFW Colorado. Dot com, One of my favorite places to go in uh, Denver. Uh, the Dairy Block is great. The, the Dairy Block is beautiful. Try the reds. Try the whites. Um, they've got some good quality uh, wines that are produced in Colorado that you can share. Um, they really got everything you need. Plus, they got some food there, um, the things that you can pair with it. And plus, you can also uh, explore a lot of the Dairy Block uh, options when they have partners with that will be delivered to you as you're sitting at Blanchard Family Wines, which is just amazing to try out. Uh, once again, they're located between 18th and 19th at Blake and Wazi in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the Dairy Block. They're always online at bfwcolorado.com. They have a location in Golden, and they have a location in uh, Fort Collins as well. They're on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. And when you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you. In about 2001, the NBA decided that post-Jordan, the, the league needed to do something. Um, they put a lot of their uh, eggs into the Lakers basket. And for a while, that, that really helped out. The Lakers were the next thing. And a lot of people don't remember this, but the Lakers were the anointed next. Even though the Spurs won in 99, that was always, sorry to Spurs fans, but that was always considered the anomaly title. I think, and, and I, I, kind of, I kind of look at it the same way. Um, I really always consider the Spurs uh, 2003 title to be their first one. The 99 season was fucked up it was 50 games it was a terrible year it was the worst basketball i've ever seen in my life they compressed 50 games into four months and uh the basketball suffered for it and you got a 
a mediocre Knicks team playing the San Antonio Spurs in, in the finals that year post Jordan. Um, and so you, by the time you get to 2000, 2001, 2002, the league had to reckon with, with post Jordan. Now, they were going to be saved by Kobe and uh, Shaq, Shaq in particular. By the time you get 99, 2000 rolls around, Shaq had become the fully realized version of what he was to become. It was his seventh year in the league, and uh, he, at that point, or his eighth year in the league, but anyway, he, they, by that point, had reached Max Shaq. Uh, even though I prefer Orlando's Orlando version of Shaq because of how lean and mean he was, uh, by the time you get to Lakers, he was the dominant force that we remember him. So those three titles, he was unequivocally the best player on the Lakers. Shaq's dominance was so uh, complete that the league entered a crisis point. Shaq was the most dominant player in the league, but the the old guard centers of the of the nineties, eighties uh, and nineties, basically were get aging out of the league. Uh, Ewing by 2001 was gone. Elijah Wan by 2003 was gone. Um, all the great centers that you remember from back in the day, Rick Smith was gone. Um, these players that, that had come in and really, um, uh, just influenced the way the league was in the 90s, which, by the way, Jordan dominated the 90s, but the, the rest of the league was dominated by the centers. And that, that, is, the, that is the paradigm and, uh, and contradiction of the 90s. The 90s were really dominated by centers. But anyway, the NBA feel, felt that they needed to do something and to ad- both address the dominance of Shaquille O'Neal and... Uh, because they couldn't appropriately officiate him. That was 100% true. Uh, so going into that, they decided to do something that they hadn't done in their entire history, which was eliminate the illegal defense penalty, which essentially f- prevented zone. You couldn't play zone because of it, because of the, the, the positioning of the illegal defense rules. You get two illegal defense penalties, it ends up as a technical. So the NBA decides to eliminate that and replace it with defensive three seconds and have an emphasis on offensive and defensive three seconds and uh, allows our defense. And this was done to directly counter Shaquille O'Neal's dominance, pushed by Jerry Colangelo, who was the owner of the Suns at that time. And it, it was done in a way to to try to not only mitigate Shaq, but to juice the offenses. But as the early part of the 2000s rolled around, you got more of a muddle. The early 2000s offenses were dominated by defense because zone defenses, in combination with hand-checking, could just halt offenses in their tracks. The team that defied that was the obviously the seven seconds or less uh, uh, Suns. Um, And those Suns teams mitigated a lot of those defensive advantages by just playing faster, which is obviously in the seven seconds or less thing. Uh, Once again, got to point out again, Mike D'Antoni learned a lot of his uh, offensive approaches from the Doug Motry with with Bill Hanslick, something he, for whatever reason, doesn't acknowledge, probably because he still has an axe to grind with the Denver Nuggets organization, but uh, just throwing that out there. So, 
by the time 2005 rolls around, the NBA's got like, oh, we got to do this again. We got to do something. And this is the era of the Detroit Pistons. The Pistons, uh, two finals in a row, um, did it by playing what essentially amounted to soul-crushing defense. They played the Spurs in 2005, and that that finals was the lowest one of the lowest rated finals in NBA history. And it was probably the most boring seven game series I've ever seen. Uh, both teams were just, it was a slug fest and seven games go by and no one cared. And the Spurs won. So the NBA goes into 2005, which was a brief lockout period. They impose a dress code, which is, uh, ex, ex, you know, kind of extended from the, uh, extended from the um, uh, uh, Malice at the Palace. Um, and then they did something else. It was a evolution meant to juice the offenses and help out teams that were like the Phoenix Suns and somewhat more the, the George Carl's Denver Nuggets. And that was to emphasize the hand check penalty which had been actually put into place in 94 and was never enforced the new the renewed emphasis on hand check is what basically gave us the league we have now and there was a four or five year period of adjustment to where the league had to reckon with the spacing created by the the defensive three seconds penalty and the lack of hand checking and the evolution of that is what you have seen that Daryl Morey uh, ushered in with the Houston Rockets. Um, spacing, three-point shots, layups, free throws. I really began yeah, sort of with the, the Heat, but the, the Heat, if you notice in those days, they played pretty slow. Um, and most of LeBron's teams play pretty slow, aside from maybe the 2020 Lakers. So by the time you get to the early 2010s, you see what the NBA had wanted it to be. Uh, what I would put it as exaggerated spacing due to three-point shots being emphasized. Uh, once again, I want to tell people that that's not the fault of the analytics. The analytics just can, can only go within the strictures of, of the rules that are presented. The rules emphasize space. The rules emphasize um, getting a a uh, as much max um, uh, spacing between where the shooter is and where the the center became a glorified rebounder, garbage collector uh, in the 2010s. So maximizing that point of space, mid-range shooters are basically. There's like five in the league now, basically. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but there's not many of them. And the league emphasizes three-point shots. And what it has done is, but have the has the 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 the, 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 the direct effect, I should say, of juicing offenses because three-point shots. The teams aren't necessarily faster. They're just, there's more points being scored due to the amount of threes being shot. And um, it also has uh, the byproduct of making defense basically impossible. And this part is the thing that has affected the league 
probably more than anything else. Um, the league is where it's at because it wants to be there. I've said this over and over, folks. The, the, the NBA doesn't do anything by accident. Rules were put in place because they wanted something to go a certain direction. And it was coming out of the post-Jordan era that this uh, the league decided that they needed to have offensive teams out there. Now, obviously, what also helped the league was LeBron, Wade, Melo, Bosch, uh, all these players coming in in 2003 to kind of set a, a, a new era of basketball. But it was helped along by the uh, basically the juicing of the rules, the, the, the NBA saying like, okay, we want to go all in on offense. Now, how that applies to FIBA is because of where the league is at. Once again, not due to analytics because of where the league that is with rules in AAU, uh, size with centers is not emphasized. Um, players who have just good center footwork is not emphasized, uh, rebound is rebounding as a result of having a greater access to space rather than just getting the rebound. Um, by that, I mean you in, in the NBA, a lot of the rebounding is no one's inside the paint. Your chances, especially if you're somewhat tall to get, grab a rebound are a lot more. You know, Nicole Jokic is 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 one of the few players who can bridge the gap between the way the NBA was back in. Well, I'm not even going back that far. Late 2000s. Um, he's one of the few players that could bridge that gap. He is he because of his skill is so unique. He's one of the few players that could successfully do both. It may be a hot take to say this, but most players now would struggle with aggressive hand check and uh, def and lack of defensive three seconds uh, and illegal defense penalties. Most players today in that environment uh, would struggle because you're getting harassed on the perimeter significantly more. And your ability to get what you want through space and driving and all this stuff wouldn't be there you would be encountered with long before you start your drive. The history of the NBA is entirely about, or was up until a certain point, a point, about how you get enough space to get to your own, okay? That's why mid-range shooters like Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, uh, players even before them were so valued is because getting a, a, a good mid-range shot off the dribble was uh, easier to do because you weren't being as harassed on the perimeter if you were able to get into a mid-midi. Um, this has gone away. So essentially what the NBA has put itself into is a league that is completely different from every other league on the planet because of the exaggerated rules. The NBA has put itself in a box that way. So when you go to a situation like FIBA, you're going to put yourself in a, a place where you have to out-talent people. You have to out... You have to have the single greatest talents on earth. And you can't play because, as this FIBA proved, if you send players that aren't the greatest players on earth... 
that advantage is gone because the NBA simply doesn't play that way anymore. The NBA is a completely different league. If I was in a time machine uh, and I went back and I showed people from 1999 the way they played basketball in 2023, they would their minds would be blown and they wouldn't be able to identify the way it's being played. Uh, it's amazing. So, anyway, um, thank you all. That. I hope you all enjoyed this history lesson here. Uh, thank you all for joining me on this uh, latest Mortcast. I'll be back um, sometime soon with another episode. Goodbye.